So right now, as a, as a church family, there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, we, we publish a bulletin each week that's available at all the entrances and stuff that has information and dates of things that are coming up and important stuff that you need to know. We have an email list that we use. We're just trying to constantly convey uh, things that are coming up. Uh, marriage discipleship is on the 31st. We have, um, you'll get an email tomorrow about like tax information. There's just stuff just coming out constantly. And, um, but the big thing right now, and this is not to like say this outranks any of those, but we, we have this month-long prayer emphasis that is a, it's an important thing in, the, in our, our like church calendar year. Uh, it's called the 30 Days of Prayer because we're awesome at naming things. Um, and uh, it started on Wednesday, and it is not too late to be a part of it. Uh, we have these bookmarks that uh, we've done up. Um, there's one thing to pray for each day. Uh, so every Monday we pray for the same things, what's listed on Monday. You pray for that every Monday throughout the month, and then Tuesday, you know, and so on. Uh, and we're really we're going for it together about our future as a congregation. Um, uh, the podcast from last Sunday will be up tomorrow, and if you weren't here, I would encourage you to listen to it, um, not to spike our numbers or anything, but I kind of just go into detail about where, where the elders sense that we are right now, which is kind of at a crossroads, and we really just need to hear the Lord give us some direction about how to plan for our future, um, from everything from a facility to the open-endedness of we're just going to ask for direction and just listen you know, um, so there's a day when we ask for a building. There's a, we're just like, please give us a building. There's another day when we ask for the right perspective about a building. Uh, there are two days where we just ask for direction and we just sit in silence and listen and that kind of stuff. And so, um, I hope that you will devote yourself to praying for this, especially if you're a part of this church family. We really we we need him to speak to us. Uh, we're just not in a place where the future is very discernible. Uh, we have a future, so we're not about to shut the doors or anything, but we really could go in a couple of different directions, and we just need to hear from him. So we're praying and listening over this month, and then at the end of the month, we're going we're gonna to try and harvest all that you've been sensing and hearing from him and try to discern our way through that and figure out uh, what he wants to say to us. And so uh, this is not the kind of thing where the elders just make all the decisions. You know, The elders make a lot of the decisions, but this is like... This is not one of those things. This is us as a family. Where are we headed? Uh, so pick one of these up on your way out, and um, it's on our website and all that kind of stuff too. Um, but in the over the course of this prayer time, we're also kind of just in the book of Acts, looking at the uh, like literally the first church ever, the first group of Christians ever, and when uh, when that church was born, and we're just trying to learn some things from them. Acts is written uh, in, to describe what, like, all that, that the Holy Spirit did through them. And so through those descriptions, there are things that we can extract and we can learn. Um, we've, we started two weeks ago, so in the first chapter, uh, there's, you could spend years in Acts, so don't, don't hear me trying to sum it all up like some know-it-all or whatever. But there's two main things that, that the Lord kind of drew out in the, in the first chapter for us. One is that this is a group of people that Jesus had promised some significant things to. He said that, that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they would be his witnesses in their city and in the surrounding cities, and that that would work outward all the way to, throughout the entire earth. He had promised them that that, that power from on high was going to come, and it was gonna, he, they were going to be clothed with it. Um, and so this was a guarantee that Jesus made to them. And so this is a very special group of people. 
Um, and they were, their response to that promise is to devote themselves to prayer. So they're like, all right, Jesus promised this. Let's get together and let's pray it in. You know? Let's pray until, like in our waiting, that's how they, they waited. They devoted themselves to prayer. And so a group of people who has some, some significant things promised to them, who've devoted themselves to prayer, um, that we could jump right into that narrative. You know? we, can, we can graft our way into that kind of story because Jesus has promised us things as his children um, that we are a part of. And we've been singing about them and we declare them each week and we try to encourage each other with those things. And uh, the call to devote ourselves to prayer and connection with the Lord is something that we have set our minds to, not just for the 30 days of prayer, but all, at all times. So in chapter 2, this is when... This is when things kind of get cooking a little bit. And uh, we're going to go kind of slowly through it uh, this week and next week, and maybe the next week. I'm not real sure. Uh, let's, look at, let's look at what happens uh, and how Jesus fulfills his uh, promise to them. Chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right, we're going to hit pause right there. Uh, there's a lot, a lot to process right there, when you, especially when you go slowly and you try and like visualize what's going on here. Um, if you go back to verse 1. Day of, when the day of Pentecost arrived, so this was, a, this was a festival, and so there were Jewish pilgrims from all over, that had been scattered out all over the region, who had come into Jerusalem for this festival. And uh, it was uh, 50 days after Passover, so Jesus was here for like 40 days after the resurrection, and there's like this 10 day period of kind of waiting and praying and stuff like that, and this is like the big day. Uh, like when the festival hit its high point. So you had, you had um, kind of this, uh, if, you, if, you, if you think about all these people who had one thing in common, which is that they were Jewish, and then, but all this diversity, they had lived all, all over the place. You look at a map and they're just from all over, uh, speaking different languages, all this kind of stuff. But they were all in Jerusalem for this, for this festival. Um, and so when the, the, when, when the big day came, the 120 uh, Christians who Jesus had said, you need to wait for the Holy Spirit to show up, they were together. And we can assume that they were praying, because they were devoted to praying, and they devoted themselves to praying, especially when they were gathered. And so it's, it's pretty, pretty awesome to think about, okay, here's the big day of the festival, they're all together in one place, and they're probably praying. Um, verse 2, Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And so they're, they're there, they hear this, you know, tornado, let's, let's maybe think like something like that, something that really freaked them out. And you'll see uh, in the later part of chapter 2, when we get to that next week, um, the sound, like, it freaked out the whole city. I mean, everybody was kind of like, what, what in the world is that? So they hear this sound, verse 3, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And so, you know, like when, when you, I don't know, anybody here just like to stare at a fire? Like I kind of just go to another planet in my mind sometimes. I'm just like staring at this fire. There's just something, something fascinating about it. 
Um, I got a dog a few years ago, and then the, the first time that, like, that I built a fire in my fireplace when I had her as a puppy, and she just like sat there and stared at it. I was like, this is the perfect dog for me, because we could both just sit here and stare at a fire for hours. Um, uh, when the, at the tops of the fire, when it's kind of like hitting the tops, and you can maybe think about it, like it's, it has like a, maybe like a forked tongue kind of look to it, like a snake, you know, that kind of thing. And so here they're, they're basically trying to describe something that's probably indescribable. Probably saying, well, it was, I mean, it was fire, Right? It was fire, but it was like, like the tongues of, of the, the flames, the tips of the flames were, were resting on every person that was there. All throughout the Old Testament, fire is used to, uh, talk, to speak of the presence of God and the purity of God and the power of God. And so it would make a lot of sense that they would, they would hear something and then how would, how would the, the visible manifestation of the Spirit look? It would be fire. It's all throughout the Bible. And, the, and the, the tips of those flames were resting on each person that was in there. And then verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Spirit of God goes from being something that they heard, then it's something that they saw, and then it filled them. And this is one of those rare times when the, the Spirit of God kind of overtook them a little bit. And they began to praise the Lord in a language that was not their native tongue. Now, some of you really want me to talk about speaking in tongues. And I really want to talk about it too. It's my favorite thing to talk about. But we're not going to talk about it tonight. Um, if, if you really want to hear more stuff from, you know, whatever, uh, let me refer you to the August 2nd, 2009 podcast. When, by, I'm not real sure why, but for an hour and 11 minutes, apparently... Uh, I talked about signs and wonders. I'm hoping that's one of those nights, we've done a few times where we split the teaching into two sections, because I hope, I mean, an hour and 11 minutes, that's a long time. Um, go back, listen to that, I'll, I'll get into the different things that are there. Uh, we just need to, let's just embrace this narrative right now and recognize that in a group where 120 Christians were there, gathered, waiting for the Holy Spirit, probably like praying, praying together, um, there's probably a little bit more than 120 people here, but let's just imagine we hear like a, this rushing wind, then fire appears in the room, and each of us is, has that fire rest on us, and then we just begin to praise the Lord in some other language that you don't know. But it's a known language. So maybe, you know, maybe it's Arabic, or maybe, maybe it's Spanish, or maybe it's French, or maybe it's whatever. And everybody's here, but, but they're all different. And, but you don't, you, you don't care. You don't care what's going on. You're just you're praising the Lord in this language that is not your own. In the rest of the chapter, uh, that sound got the got the attention of everyone, and then people started to come around. And there were people who were like, "Wait, that guy is praising is like saying all this stuff in my language, but he there's no way that he knows my language." And that's what God used to like stir up all these they had all these questions, all these questions, all these questions, and then. Uh, there's this beautiful sermon, like everybody's hearts are all stirred, and the sermon, you know, is like delivered, and then they go from 120 to like thousands, right? It's an amazing chapter. But I want us to, to zero in on something tonight, because this whole series is, is designed, I guess, in, in a way for us to be, like, what do we learn from these people? Well, it says in verse 4 that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, 
Our focus sometimes is going to go to the, the wind or the fire or the speaking in tongues. Uh, but I want us to draw in, to, like, to really draw near to this idea of being filled with the Spirit. It's a phrase that is, uh, has been abused so much, in, especially in the last few decades. Uh, and some of you, you, you might be like, oh, I don't, I've never really paid much attention to that. But uh, if you've been around church for a while, you know that this idea of being Spirit-filled has, has been kind of divisive at times. Um, among denominations and different things, and um, it's really it's very very tragic because um, this is a, an, an amazing part of what it means to be in Christ. But the Spirit of God filled them like they they went from not being vessels of the Holy Spirit, not being temples of the Holy Spirit, to literally being filled to the brim. And sometimes, you know, people will say like, oh, well, you know, oh, you're a Christian, cool, are you spirit-filled? And what they usually mean is like, oh, do you, do you speak in tongues? And that's for another day, that's for a podcast, you know. The truth is, you become a Christian, you are filled with his spirit in that, in that moment, whatever that moment looks like. You acknowledge that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of the world, that you are a sinner in need of redemption, that He is the one who has taken your place, and you, you place your life inside of His life. And you surrender all to Him, and you say, He is my Lord and my Savior. And when the, in that moment, the same thing happens to you that happened to them. You're filled with His Spirit, His presence. Like, God literally lives inside of you. And I know that's got to sound so weird, you know? I mean, if I were to, like, get up in some, like, uh, on a LSU game day with a megaphone and start preaching that, people would be like, you're insane, you know? And that's even what people thought with these folks. They're like, oh, they're all drunk, you know? It just, it just sounds weird to, a, to an extent, but, but the more we understand the story of God and we understand what's going on, and we see what Jesus had promised them and uh, how he had actually taught them a lot more than maybe they were realizing in that moment about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. It's not the kind of thing where, um, I, I guess it's easy to think of like a pitcher, you know, an empty pitcher sitting there on a counter and then it's like filled with water. It's like, okay, now you're filled. But it's, it's more than that. There's this continual idea. Uh, it's, really, it's more like a water hose hooked up to the, to the you know, spigot outside, you know, it's, is the water hose, is it filled? Well, yeah. Is it, is it being emptied all the time? Well, yeah. But is it being filled all the time? Well, yeah. Like, that's, that's what it, that's what's happening, you know? So we're filled that first time, but then it's just, there's just this constant outpouring. And so, as we are pouring our lives out, this, this endless supply of God's power and presence is, is there with us. And so, you're literally walking around as like a really dangerous person because God himself lives inside of you and not not a little bit of him you know not a little more each day not a like oh you're kind of JV right now one day you'll be varsity all that kind of junk it's all the time so I want us to look back at what Jesus said because in order to understand being filled with the spirit we need to we need to kind of like let's go back to the source Uh, so let's flip back to John chapter 7 
So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, our, um, our God is three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And there's an equality that's there. And, and this should be familiar you know, to a lot of you. It's not like God the Father, like he's the big dog, and then Jesus is like his like right hand man, and then the Holy Spirit's like just the like the the intern, you know. Like go do this, go do this, go do this. But but there is a like the Holy Spirit, he is kind of the workhorse of the Trinity though. Because the Father, like he he's the he's the visionary, you know, and Jesus is the one who goes and like and like creates and atones for sin. The Holy Spirit is the one that, that, that sustains God's presence in creation. He's the one that takes what Jesus did and, and draws you unto salvation and applies that blood to you and, and lives in you and sustains you and empowers you. And so um, we have this, this really significant thing that's happening in the storyline where you know, we, we celebrate the, the first advent of Jesus. You know, he, he leaves heaven, comes to earth, is born in Bethlehem, the whole, the whole story. Uh, he grows up. And uh, has his, his ministry, his three or so years of ministry, um, he lays down his life, dies, is buried, um, he's raised from the dead, uh, he's here for you know, 40 days or, or so, and then like, he's gone, he's ascended. And so, look at John 7, I don't want to get too, too uh, off track. John 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said, now this he said about the Spirit, right? That's the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is not saying that the Holy Spirit was not already active. We know in Genesis 1, in Deuteronomy 34, in Luke 1, that there is the, the Holy Spirit has been active from the beginning, just like Jesus has been active from the beginning. But Jesus is saying that, that the Spirit has not yet been given to individuals in the way that it will be, uh, uh, when the plan completely unfolds. So Jesus knows that the plan is for Acts 2 to happen. For them to gather together in the wind and the fire and the speaking in tongues and them to be filled. He understands that. And he's saying that, that the Spirit has not been given to individuals yet in the way that it will be given. He knows something that nobody else knows. Because it's part of the plan. It's part of the design. So flip over to John 14. And in, in chapter 14 and 15 and in 16, uh, peppered in with like just some of the, just the most rich texts that we have of, of just some amazing stuff, Jesus is teaching them about the spirit that's to come. And they probably, you know, maybe didn't really pay attention to it all in detail. Look at chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. 
Notice that that is capitalized. Um, You may have a footnote that says, or advocate, or counselor. So you have this word that that means kind of all those things pressed together. A helper, an advocate, a counselor. So look at the verse again. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. He's going to give you like someone else. It's very important. Holy Spirit is not an it. You know? It's a he. It's living just like the Son and just like the Father. Jesus says, I'm gonna, the Father is going to give you another helper. It's part of the plan. And then it says, uh, give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus is laying the groundwork for Acts 2 to happen. He says, the Father is going to send you someone else. There'll be this new kind of indwelling, this new kind of filling. And notice that it says, he says, the spirit of truth, um, that you know the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth will live in you. That's a part of what the spirit does, is he leads you to what is real. So if you are a Christian, your process of recognizing who Jesus is, and stepping into that story and trusting him as your, as your Lord and Savior, you were led there by the Holy Spirit. You didn't, you didn't figure that out on your own. It's not a math problem that you worked out. The Spirit opened up your mind to see the truth of who he is. The Spirit uh, illuminated everything about who God is so that you kind of saw for the first time the beauty of Jesus and what he's done. That was initiated by the Trinity. And that's what Jesus is saying, is he's going to lead you to the truth. Another advocate, another counselor, another helper. He's, he's essentially using language that is very clear. That he says, I'm going to replace myself. And you think about that for a second. You're like, man, that's, that's weird. I was reading, like studying on this stuff this week, and there's one chapter in this book and it said, the title of the chapter was, We're Better Off Without Jesus. I was like, oh, I went right to that chapter, of course. You know. We're better off without Jesus. It's like, well, yeah, that's really what he's saying. Look in, look in chapter 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, notice capital H again, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Spirit of God will bear witness about Jesus. So Jesus has been with them, and he has been walking around, and he's been ministering and teaching about himself, really. The kingdom of God and all that kind of stuff. But the, he's really been bearing his own witness all of this time. And now the job is going to change the Father is going to send another helper who's going to bear witness about Jesus. And it will now be this new advocate's job, this new counselor's job, this new helper's job to tell the world about who Jesus is. So again, Jesus is painting a picture 
of him sending his own replacement to the world. And look in chapter 16. Verse 4. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So I'm wondering if at some point in Acts 2, someone's like, wait a minute, this is all ringing a bell. You know, this is sounding familiar. Verse 5, I didn't, I'm sorry, the next part of verse 4. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you asked me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. All right? So he's been talking about his departure, and they're all being real sad about him leaving. He's like, hey, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. Don't get caught up in your own sorrow and your own, what are we going to do without Jesus stuff? Focus on what I'm telling you. Verse 6. Because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. There's the, we're better off without Jesus. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper um, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That was a part of the plan. Jesus, Jesus had to leave. Jesus, who was in one place at one time, limited to time and space like we are, Jesus had to go away so that the Helper could come. So we spent some time last semester talking about the, the omnipresence of God and how he's, he's infinite and He's just not limited by anything, and yet Jesus was very much limited by things when He was here. He's saying, look, I can only be with you guys like in person, so it's actually to your advantage that I go away because... The, when, if I don't go, then the helper will not come. And they're probably still a little bit confused. And he says some amazing things right here. Um, verse 8. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That the Spirit of God, a part of what he does, is he is here to convict the world. That's you, that's your neighbors, that's people in other countries, that's uh, all throughout like the whole timeline of earth. The Holy Spirit has come to convict concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Verse 9. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. This is the Spirit is, gonna, is going to lead people to the truth about their sin. He's going to lead people to the truth about righteousness. Jesus is, he, what he's telling them is like, okay, I'm here with you in person, so you're visually seeing the standard of righteousness. But when I go away, you're going to be like, What's, where's the standard? Where's the standard? Where's the standard? Well, the helper is going to come, and he's going to show you the standard. He's going to help you know what holiness looks like in real life, which is righteousness. He's going to take care of judgment. He's going to take care of conviction of sin. He's going to take care of all these things. So it's to your advantage that I go because I'm limited. The Word became flesh, and when the Word became flesh, He was limited. But the Spirit of God is without those limitations. And so now, the Helper is going to come, and He's going he's to lead you to these things, and He's going to lead other people to those thing, these things, and that's how it's going to work. Verse 12, 
I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. He says, I'm going I'm to send to you a helper that's going to lead you to the truth. Not just saving truth, but living every single day truth. That the Father is going to communicate His truth to you through this advocate, through this helper, through this counselor, through His very Spirit that will dwell inside of you. That that's what's going on now. Is that The Father is... is in perfect and infinite wisdom guiding things along, and Jesus is there as an intercessor for you, and the advocate, the Holy Spirit, is there speaking those words to you and guiding you along. Jesus says, look, I know this is probably too much for you to handle, so you'll just handle it when it's time. He's painting this amazing picture of something that they probably, they probably, honestly, really struggled to get past you know, the fact that he was going to leave them and all that kind of stuff. But somebody was paying attention because we had these words. Somebody remembered because of what happens in Acts 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and all the way through the end of the book. Somebody paid attention because we're here today. That they were filled with the Spirit of God that Jesus left them, sent this helper who filled up this room that they were in and rested on each of them. And when you became a Christian, that spirit filled you as well, and it has never stopped. He's never stopped. The, we are spirit-filled Christians, all of us. Even when you're being dumb, you're a spirit-filled Christian. Even on your worst day, spirit-filled Christian. On your best day, whatever that means, spirit-filled Christian. But this is a very dangerous place in regard to the enemy that we have, in regard to uh, the fight for justice. In every possible way, the gathering of the saints should absolutely freak out the forces that oppose us. Now, you may not feel that way, you know, and I understand it. You might be like, well, I don't really feel spirit-filled. It's like, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Just because you don't feel it doesn't mean it's fake or not true. You just don't feel it. Now, here we are. We sit here, and this is our reality. That Jesus looks at your life and says, I'm going to leave the earth so that the Spirit can come and dwell in you. I want to narrow this down to, to three things, I think, for us tonight that we can walk away with from these, from these verses. And they're going to sound so familiar because I mean, we camp out in these kind of ideas all the time. But I want us to understand the significance of the role of the Holy Spirit in these things actually being real. So there's, there's three. 
And they all start with um, the word his, because I just felt like, hey, I'm going to do one of those things today. There's his empowerment and his guidance and his solidarity. His empowerment, guidance, solidarity. First one, his empowerment. And, and how that applies to, I mean, everything that we do. So in, we know that Jesus promised that they, would, that they would have power, that they would be his witnesses. Well, same, same thing for us. So whatever it is that you're, that you're going after in the moment, and in the moments of a day or a week or whatever it is, Every single thing that you're going after in your life is backed by the power that raised Jesus from the dead and that created the earth out of nothing and saved your soul from an eternity of separation from God. The same power dwells in you. So if you're frustrated with your own pursuit of holiness, if there's a sin pattern that you can't seem to shake if there's this, this really deep struggle that you just want to quit, well, you have his empowerment according to what Jesus forecasted and then we see happen here. That you are filled with that spirit. So don't act like you're, you're a water hose that's hooked up to the wall and somebody turned the water off because that's not how God works. He doesn't, the water company doesn't run out of water with God. And the, he doesn't come in and turn it off just because you're like just being a punk someday. That it is like endlessly flowing into your life because of what Christ has done. That that is the will of the Father for you. That is empowered by the Spirit that lives inside of you. And so, if I want to chase this water hose analogy, which I, apparently I do, uh, it's not because the water company ran out of water or because somebody shut off the hose. What is the like? What is the most common problem when you're like trying to water something or whatever, and the water pressure goes down? There's a kink in the hose, right? So maybe you're, just, maybe you're just being dumb. Let's just be honest. Maybe the problem is not God. How about I'll say it that way. Maybe you're the problem. Maybe I'm the problem. One of the, one of the few things I remember about the BCM TNT services when I was in college is Fred Luter, pastor of Franklin Avenue Baptist Church, came and preached one time. He made us all point at ourselves and say, I am the problem. And we kind of laugh when he's like, no, you actually do this. And if you ever heard him preach, like, he will stand there until every single person is like, I- I'm the problem, I'm the problem. Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. There's one friend of mine, we made him use both, both hands. <laughs> uh, but it came up, it came up from time to time for so long, we're just like, wait, what's the problem? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm the problem. God's not the problem. So you are spirit-filled, an endless supply of his empowerment. So whether that's your pursuit of holiness, whether that is someone that you are just trying to minister to and love and share the gospel with, whether that is a difficult family member, whether that is an, just an impossible co-worker, uh, if it, whatever the situation is that you are just, you're attacking it. In your own walk, in, with trying to love the people around you, you're just trying to do these things. Every single one of them, you can do. Not because you're awesome, even though you're, I mean, you're awesome, yeah. 
but because he has sent the helper, he has sent the counselor, he has sent the advocate, he has sent his spirit, that Jesus had the humility to leave the planet and not have to be the big shot. We always talk about the humility that it took for him to leave heaven and come here, and I'm on board with that. But think about the humility that it took for him to leave. He's like, i got to go because it's better for all of you if I go. This is the best plan is for me to get out of here and for me to uh, let the Spirit do his thing. That's, he's what you need. Everything that, everything that Jesus came here to do uh, on the earth, he did. And he's like, okay, I'm, I'm done. I've done everything that, that you need. Now what you need is for me to get out of here for this, the helper to come. So I hope that you are encouraged or convicted or whatever it is when you think about the fact that, that you have his empowerment for whatever it is. I don't care what it is. Whatever it is. It's there. Second thing, you have his guidance. Jesus talked about the Spirit leading us to the truth. You realize how, much, how, how many decisions we make just based on dumb, worldly wisdom, and just logic and things where we, we don't even pray about stuff sometimes? And I read texts like these, I'm like, why in the world would I, would I try and just make these decisions apart from the Lord, the holy, like, sovereign guider of the universe, outside of time, and just infinite, limitless, and he's like, hey, I'm going to come live inside of you, and I'm going to help you, make, help you make decisions. I'm like, no, I'm good, I got it. It's so stupid. But, but I don't think I'm alone, probably, in that. And so you have his guidance, And so when you humble yourself and you come before him and you're like, Lord, will you give me some direction in this? Will you speak into this? He's like, yeah, man, the water's on, dude. Let's do this. We're coming together as a church asking for guidance. Is it because that our elders are incapable of making decisions? No. It's because we're just just so clueless. It's our last resort. I guess we've got to pray. You know, Jesus, take the wheel. I'm done. I can't really do it anymore. So how about you do it? Like, no. We we have ideas like this where we're like, man, we could take the church forward, but why would we want to just do what we think we should do? How about we go to the, the actual head of the church and ask him? So that's what we're doing. So please do that, by the way. So you have his empowerment. You have his guidance of your life. Why, why forsake that? Jesus left so that you wouldn't have to fumble through life on your own. He says, no, that's not, that's not life in the kingdom. That's not my, how my kids are going to live. My kids are going to know what's coming on and what's coming ahead and, and how, how we're going to get through it because I'm going like, to make sure that that happens. His empowerment, his guidance, the last one, his solidarity. I like the word Solidarity. I don't know that we always think about, like, God being in it with us like that, you know. But my goodness, the Bible translators couldn't really decide if, if the word that Jesus is using there, is it helper or counselor or advocate? So like, let's just put them all at the bottom and let y'all sort it out. So how about we just use them all and just realize that he's in it with you, whatever it is. He doesn't kick you to the curb. He doesn't say, oh, I've got, I'm too busy to mess with that. Or I'm tired of dealing with you with this. That God is in it with you. That the, the Father is loving you. The Son is, is interceding for you. The Spirit is there to help when you need it. To comfort when you need it. To be your advocate. To go for it with you when you need it. What you need, He will be. 
Andrew Murray, in, in, when he talks about abiding, he says that Jesus, Jesus promises us that, that God will be to us everything we need him to be, just like the trunk of a tree will be everything that the branch needs it to be. That on this day, everything you need, he will be for you. That's the spirit-filled life that Jesus makes possible for us. And in preparing for this tonight or whatever, I just, I, just, I just feel so silly at how much I'm like, kind of forget these kinds of things, you know? Sometimes I just like put my head down and just go, th- go forward through life and whatever, and then it's like, man, this is, this is beautiful. That's why Acts chapter 2 on that day day of Pentecost was a game changer. So Jesus says, I'm going to go away. I'm going to bring you one who's not limited by time and space. So that every single one of you can have this same exact thing. Every single one of you. Every single one of you. All the time. Forever. And he says, and now go. Let's go. Go love the world. Go abide in me. Let me guide you. Let's, let's show the entire world what the kingdom of God is about. Just go. You're ready. You got it. Got everything you need, go. I don't know if that inspires you. I don't know if that well, I don't know what it does for you. I'm not even sure what it does for me, to tell you the truth. It does something though. I know that. So how it fits into your life, I'm not sure. That's between you and him. But it impacts us corporately as well. So we're gonna respond a little bit. And uh so let's do that together. Let's stand. I'm going to pray for us. The band comes back. We're going to sing two two songs. I mean, that's what we normally do, so no spoiler there. But these these two songs are very much on purpose, uh, set up this way. One one is very personal. I think there's a personal response that needs to happen to thinking about being filled by the Spirit of God, just the goodness of Christ, and sending you, whether it's empowerment or guidance or solidarity or something else that stands out to you. Um, so one's a very, just like a very you response. And so you respond. You respond. The second one is a very outward response. Because the early church didn't just sit around and make this about them. You know, it was, too, it was too good to stay contained. And so the second song is, is a, an out song. It's a going song. It's a, it's a, um, we we want to go and be the church as Jesus envisioned, you know, the bride that Jesus died for. We want to, we want to, like, want to destroy the, the earth, you know what I mean? Like in a good way. That sounded weird. Uh, we want to tear those things down. We want his kingdom to continue to make sense to people, you know? And so those, that's how we're going to respond. One's personal one is like very much outward together. And then we're going to close with a prayer time for our 30 days. So let me pray over, over us right now. and Let's just respond in just that beautiful spirit and truth deal that Jesus makes possible. God, we thank you for not leaving us on our own. Jesus, I'm amazed by the humility of your ascension. And when you say that it's to our advantage that you go, What a beautiful plan was dreamed up by the Father, made possible by the Son, and put into motion 
by the Spirit. That each moment that we live is, is filled with that Trinitarian power and that vision for life. And we thank you that you've not left us alone to just fumble around and just figure it out. So help us, God, as we respond to the, the personal aspects, but also the corporate ones. We don't want to be so inwardly focused that we, are, that we miss out on all that you have in mind because a spirit-filled church is not, it's not just to make our lives better or whatever. It does make our lives better, but it's not just about us. It's about those who do not know those that you're sending us to love and to uh, those that you want to, um, to convey your love for them through, maybe through the way we live among them. So on both of these responses, I pray that you'd help us to be sincere and uh, and grateful.